Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York. And Boca Raton, Florida. It's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right. Welcome back for episode 129 of Freight 360. If you listened last week, actually, I made a blooper. I said it was episode 127. We already had 127. Last week was 128. Now around 129. Sometimes you just have a little bit of a brain fart, Ben. How you doing, man? You have those occasionally. Doing well. Weather's Good. beautiful. Things are going in the right direction. I've got zero to complain about. Nice. Well, I'm back from a nice, uh, relaxing trip in Florida. Um, although I got laid over two days, but I got compensated by American Airlines with a bunch of uh, travel vouchers for future flights. So that's cool. Um, I'm tan. I think I'm more tan than you, and you live in Florida. I am not tan at all. I make a point to put on sunscreen whenever I first year or two you live down here. I think everybody gets super excited to be tan all year. And then yeah. like you start to see people that are like 40 years older than you that look like baseball gloves and you're like, hmm, if I'm <laughs> gonna do. live here the rest of my life, I'm probably gonna need to <laughs> throw in yep. some sunscreen. So, yeah. I feel but you, hey, it's beautiful over there, man. I know you guys had a great time. I'm looking forward. I've never been over to that beach, but I've heard it is like literally one of the nicest beaches in the world. Siesta Key. I brought some sand home. I don't know if you're allowed to do that, but I brought it home on the plane. Um, white, powdery. Nice and cool touch, so it's not like it doesn't burn your feet. It was good. But it actually, it got fairly warm up here in um, western New York. Just about all of our snow melted. We got like three days in a row where it was in the 50s or above and uh, some rain. So it washed away a bunch. Luckily, my ice rink is very thick. So it basically got a free resurfacing by Mother Nature again. So That's fantastic. Yeah. Good stuff. So today's... Today's episode, we're going to talk about finding your ideal customers. Um, but first, we got to give a um, you know a reminder to all you out there to make sure to leave that five star review, please. Um, I totally forgot we have we got like four of them since the last time I read these off. We got like three in the last month. Um, I'm going to read a couple of them out here. The first one is titled "I Listen Every Day." I learned about these guys through the TIA and stumbled across their podcast. I listened to one of the episodes and was completely hooked. Nate and Ben give great advice for both new and experienced freight brokers. Uh, thank you. We appreciate that. Another one, it says, great find. These guys are informative and engaging. Some podcasts I found do a lot of hem hawing around throughout the podcast. Time is valuable. These guys get down to brass tacks. I'm going back to listen to previous episodes. I'm a fan. That's funny because last week we talked about the guy that hated our Just thinking the same thing. <laughs> and one more here. Great show, fantastic content. I recommend this pod to anyone in freight brokerage. They cover everything you need to know in a conversational way. I never miss a show. Nate and Ben are fantastic. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. Well, thanks to all of you. Oh, and there was one more that just said, um, let's see here, fascinating and fun, a must for those in in, or in logistics. Okay. Good stuff. Well, I appreciate all you guys leaving reviews. It's um, We're up to like 75 reviews now or 4.9 stars. Somebody... Somebody somewhere was not a big fan, but uh, that's why we're not at five. Oh, yeah, it's the one that says, not bad, three stars. Well, it could be worse. You'll have that. But share us with all your friends, too. We're, we've grown. We're up to, like, it's like almost 10,000 downloads a month now. So people are listening. Wow. 
asking questions, we're answering them, and um, good stuff. So, um, sports recap update here. Um, I don't know. Is there a whole lot going on? What do we have? Like, golf had, like, the uh, waste management, didn't they? Yeah, two things. I, I mean, Sidney Crosby up in Pittsburgh scored his 500th goal, I think, within the past week. Or it might even have been a right before our last episode. I know that was pretty recent. And the Honda Classic is going on this Thursday as of tomorrow up the street up at PGA National. So our local tournament's kicking off. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean. What town, or I guess – City is PJ National in uh, West Palm Beach. Oh, okay. So I, I thought I thought so. No, nope. I'm actually planning to be down down there visiting some family in uh, a couple months. So that's a course we should go play. By the way, it's like one of my top fives that I've played. Definitely, maybe anywhere. Definitely in Florida. I got to play. Um, there's a three or four of them, I think, there. But I got to play the one where they actually have the Honda Classic. And there's like a string of three or four holes that they call, um, oh, my mind just went blank. It's called like the bear or something. Um, I can't remember it. But anyway, really cool. If you watch any of the the classic, they always televise like that stretch of holes. It's like real difficult, super long par three that like is all water carry. It's it's a really cool course. Nice. Good stuff. I, um, I'm wrapping up my virtual golf league in the next couple of weeks, getting ready to start my actual golf league in May. Still, you know, two, two months and change away, but got to get the clubs swinging and, you know, get the rust off of there to start off the year. So Been stuff. playing more golf than I have. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT before we hop into it today. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power Express and Trucker's Edge. And what Nate and I mentioned, if you do not have DAT and you are about to sign up, it's a great way to support us, saves you some money, share some of the love with us, would be greatly appreciative. Absolutely. Help out your boys. Appreciate it. Good stuff. So um, today's topic, we titled it, How to Find Ideal Shippers or Ideal Customers. And it's interesting how this came up because we we're like, hey, what should we talk about this week? And I had an idea and then you brought this up. You're like, you know, a lot of we a lot of times we, we talk through content and we often forget the that not everybody is at the same level of understanding and experience in this industry. And sometimes we have to go back to like that 100 level, like the 101, 102 level um, content and, and really break down some of the basics to understand um, you know, how this market operates and you know, how customers work. And this is, I do wanna preface by saying, although it is very, very, very valuable for new brokers, it's also good for anyone, no matter how tenured or much of a veteran you are, um, because you should always be looking to grow that book of business. And the ideal customer is, there, you know, that's the, con- that's the conversation. The topic today is what makes an ideal customer? And we're gonna break down the different types of shippers and where they fall in the supply chain. Um, so I guess, you know, the, the folks that have been reaching out to us, what have you been hearing as far as their understanding of, 
how customers operate. Well, here's something else interesting too. Like right before we started to record, I was on a call with uh, the owner of a brokerage, a fairly large brokerage, probably does like 50 million a year, give or take. And um, I've done some coaching with their teams. I've worked with him on and off for the past few years. And what we were talking about is like, even for veteran brokers, a lot of them have spent so much time in the weeds and in the details that they lose, I don't wanna say lose, but it's out of sight, out of mind, like conceptual foundational like aspects of this job, right? It's so easy to get caught in the minutia and the details on loads, pickup times, details, POs, BOLs, yada, 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 that like it's, it's oftentimes a good refresher to take a step back and realize like when you're on a prospecting call to ask some of like the general things. And that's really what brought this topic up is like, general understandings of the fundamentals of how the supply chain works because it not only helps you in prospecting, it helps you when you're dealing with carriers and really across the whole industry. And I think we spent a lot of time in the details and this is a great reminder of taking a step back and looking at your customer because likely even if you are a veteran, there's probably opportunities within that relationship already or tangentially to that relationship or one question away from getting like a whole other aspect of business that maybe you just neglected to ask. I mean, that happens so often where, I mean, I remember when I worked at a larger company, you'd find somebody that worked with a customer for three years and then all of a sudden they found out about like literally a whole other section of business that they just didn't even know their customer did. And I'll yep. never forget the one stuck with me. I was sitting with Brian was his name. And I'm like, Brian, like we didn't know they had this division. And I was on the call with him and, the, and his customer. And the guy goes, well, to be honest, like you never asked. And we just kind of assumed that you were happy with the amount of work we were giving you. And you just didn't want to. Because again, we assume a lot. And we assume that just because our, our customer knows and trusts us, they're gonna ask us for help on everything they do. And sometimes they're assuming that like, we're managing as much business as we want. And those things aren't always aligned. So kind of for all those reasons or what we've been have been coming up in conversations this week. And this is just a great way to, I think, bring all these things to a head and kind of talk through some of them. Yeah, and it takes me back to last week's episode where we talked about imports and exports. And, you know, that's the macro level of this industry, right? Not everything is made or consumed entirely within the United States. Some stuff is imported, some stuff is not exported after it's made here. There's a whole big spectrum here. So this is like the 30 or 40,000 foot view of the supply chain. So think about when you're driving down the road in your car and you see house after house after house, but then you're up in a plane, you look down and you're like, wow, there's one town and, or city and you can look over, you know, just a little, tilt your head a little bit and boom, there's another whole, you know, town or city over there and how it all kind of, you know, pans out and zooms out there. That's the whole concept of the 40,000 foot view. So the the basics here of kind of the different types of customers that we had, and this is not all inclusive because there's some other bonus ones that we'll talk about later on, but think about the supply chain in general. Before it gets to the consumer, <clears throat> you know, it has to be created, right? And in order to be created, the, they need the ingredients or the parts or the, you know, the supplies to create that item and then to get it to the consumer it has to be distributed and sometimes it gets to a retail point right so you've got the vendors or suppliers you've got the manufacturers uh, this could be a plant that produces um, steel or that makes furniture or it could be a farm that grows 
potatoes or onions, right? And then sometimes it goes through a distributor, through a distribution center or through a produce broker, and then eventually gets to a, a produce market, like a farmer's market, or it could be a, a furniture store or a retail store. I mean, there's so many different players in this. And guess what? It's moving between each point in the supply chain. And that's where we as freight brokers come in. So you might, your customer could be any one of these items or any one of these players, right? It could be a supplier that has a small widget that, that they make. It could be a manufacturer that puts together a consumer good or a finished product. It could be a distribution center that warehouses and distributes to different retail locations. Or it could be, maybe it's the retail location that's controlling their inbound freight, right? There's so many different possibilities here. And this just, it, it'll blow your mind when you're like, hey, I'm going to prospect, you know, we always use the example of golf equipment, right? As just as an, as an example, right? Well, there's the people that make the grips. There's the rubber that is used to make the grips. There's the graphite used to make some of the shafts. There's the the assembly. There's distribution. There's the actual um, retail stores. I mean, there's so many different mm -hmm. points in this chain. So that's there's what I love two, and I think there's there's two that have always stuck with me. And one is we'll just go with one you picked up because it was one that was one of the first customers the broker I was trained under. That's what he shipped. He shipped a lot of. Um, imported wood that was then turned into finished goods, which were high-end furniture, right? And I remember learning and asking like, you know, tell me a little bit about like where these things come from, right? And it's just a really good example, I think, of how urgent or not urgent anything is based on where it is, right? So we'll take a piece of furniture, right? We've got green lumber and we'll just say it's domestic. So we've got green lumber, we'll say coming out of like the Pacific Northwest, out of like the Oregon. Lots of lumber yep. ships out of there, out of Canada, right? Well. That lumber, it, it's referred to as green lumber or raw lumber, right? And at some point in time, you've either seen this on TV and a movie or driving down the road, like literally trees, right? That are just on a truck driving to a lumber mill, right? Yep. Well, think about that commodity. There's not a lot of differentiation between trees at that point. They're all pretty much the same. It's very commoditized. There's not a lot of risk in it. So it's usually lower margin freight like hustle freight, jump ball freight, loadless, right? That's why that operates that way because there's not a whole lot of incentive to get one tree or one truckload of trees to the place over another, over another one, right? And the risk of damage is very low. Very low. To that finished product, right? right? You can ding up a trunk yep. from a tree all you want and it's still gonna get refined down. So second step, right? It goes to a mill where then it's ripped, right? But like ripped with like huge saws, right? So again, nowhere near finished lumber, but now you're getting closer to boards and you're getting things that are closer to being used in some type of production or manufacturing plant, right? So you got raw lumber, first stop, comes out of the forest, goes to the second stop. They start ripping these trees into boards and other types of lumber. So now we've got kind of finished lumber, depending on what happens at that mill, right? But again, it's a little more specialized. It is a higher value, right? Like a truckload of finished lumber is more expensive than a truckload of just trees for all the reasons we just discussed, right? So a little more specialized, sometimes a little more margin, and there's usually a little bit of a higher need, especially now, right, with what happened during the pandemic, Building materials, wood especially, is used in a lot of construction. There's not enough of it. So like that's actually playing some more decent margins than it ever has, right? Yep. Where do we go from there, right? So now we've got all these lumber. So some of that goes like directly to a Lowe's or a Home Depot, a retailer, right? Well, if that retailer is short on stock and there is high demand from their customers, 
Now they'll start paying some margin to get it in there because guess what? Like their business model is if you need it, we have it, right? How much? How many customers do you think are gonna keep going back to any department, not department store, but you know, a place where you buy lumber, whether it's Ace Retail Hardware, lumber, yeah. yeah, Home Depot or you know, Lowe's, you start going there, they stop having what you need, you stop going there. So it's vital to them, they need that, they're willing to pay a little more. But to your example, right, where does it go in the other manufacturing side? If you're gonna make lumber, now all of a sudden you're gonna take what we just discussed and it's gonna become a very specialized, much more expensive, much more valuable piece of finished good, right? A table, an end table, maybe like a hand finished end table, depending on how that you know product is manufactured, it could be worth like literally hundreds or thousands of dollars versus you know the price per pound you pay. Right. It's funny. So I, I had a guy that one of his customers was a uh, a company that they made squash courts, like the, the mm-hmm. game squash, right? Yep. And the part that he moved specifically was the glass panels that you would like, you know, you open up the door. It's like racquetball, squash, anything like that. Those those very, very clear but big, thick glass panels that are used to, so you can see into it, you can open the door, mm-hmm. you can hit the ball off of it. And glass at its, you know, basic level, is just it's just a regular commodity. But when it's a specialized finished product, like a glass panel for a specific squash court like that is a high demand item and when they're when they're installing a new squash court think about how crucial it is to have all those parts and all those pieces in place at the right time and not damaged right in order to open up that facility whatever the case might be even to that same point right and what was that originally well if it's lucite or plastic you go back far enough down the supply chain it was probably a bunch of plastic beads that were shipped in drums that then went into a machine that then made that and if it's glass it started out as sand or something very similar to it right so you go far enough back like it's not even the same product and it's definitely not the same margin and it definitely doesn't have the same value in the supply chain right and for all those reasons right like you have much different margins, much different risk, much different sense of urgency, and all of those things just equate to whether or not somebody's gonna be willing to pay a margin. And all a margin is, is is it worth our time to go find them a truck, right? You're right, and so this whole conversation, it's funny, I just thought about this. It's like that show, uh, How It's Made. Have you mm-hmm. ever seen that on TV where it like walks you through the manufacturing process? And it tells you like all the supplies and all the vendors that they use to start with to then turn their product into whatever it becomes. So hey, if you're trying to figure out where to find prospects or what kind of find a niche, just watch how it's made for a little bit, right? You'll get all kinds of ideas like, hey, that's pretty cool. It is. Another one, and another one before we'll go in a little bit of a different direction, like just think about a washing machine, okay? A washing machine is all made of metal, right? But go all the way back to the beginning. All the way back to the beginning, you have the raw materials to make steel. So it's like Coke to fire those ovens, right? It's the ore, it's the literal raw materials that like go into the rolled steel. And by the way, what happens before it turns into a washing machine? It's literally steel coils or you know whatever that you're shipping there. Once it goes to the next place, now it's stamped. Now it's in a completely different shape. Now you can only load so many per truck. It has different values. Then it gets sprayed, then it gets coated, right? So based on where it is, it has much different value, even if it's the same product. And again, it has much different value to a customer because steel, and one of the main reasons why I used to ship ingots and why they would pay a large margin on an ingot was because even though 
it is it is very commoditized it is not necessarily like high risk if it falls off a truck it's still good you can put it back on it but the reality is is to a steel mill if they do not have the product they need to run that line the cost to shut a steel mill down is enormous like yep. literally hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, if they don't have what they need to keep that line running, there is an enormous cost. Again, why they're willing to pay some margins over other commodities that may not be able to make some money on. If you went to business school, you learn that as opportunity cost. Yep. Think about that, yeah. So, so then, you know, it, I often find fresh new brokers, they will, they'll sink their teeth into very early on in the supply chain, right? Steel, lumber, uh, just, you know, stone, things like that where it's not necessarily a finished good yet. There's a um, low, low risk for claims on it. There's a lot of brokers working on it, low margins. It's not a bad way to kind of learn the industry and understand the competition amongst brokers for it. And also just to understand some of the, the basic equipment types used in, uh, in, in transportation in, in general. In those situations that it's used, that's a lot of open deck or flatbed freight right there. Um, but as you get into more specialized finished products, you might find specialized types of equipment. So like for, or like trailer types. So the, for example, those squash court glass panels, they were propped up on an angle on like this wooden platform and then they had to be in a conestoga so they could be easily side loaded but protected from the elements right so you get to more specialized equipment as you get to more specialized finished products so um i don't recommend getting into a specialized good when you're brand new as a freight broker right it's probably best to stick with the basics and that's where I was going to go with this, right? So we have some folks that we're working with that we're coaching and, you know, a lot of them have started there at our direction, right? Like because of everything you just said, right? You don't want to start with high risk, high margin freight. One, it's much harder to get anyway is the first thing. Second of all, it takes much longer to build a relationship. So when you're early on, you want some wins and you want exposure, but you want exposure in a way that isn't you're not likely to cut your legs out from underneath you if you drop the ball, right? Because there is risk. So like these are great commodities to start with because again, you get to get familiar with the ins and outs of how the business functions. You get the ins and outs of the risk on a truck, right? It's much better to have a load of shingles or a load of, you know, concrete or not concrete, but yeah, even bags of cement, right? And have a truck break down or God forbid have an issue than to have that with like a load of raspberries or a load of produce that you end up with a $50,000 claim and, you know, something filed against your bond. Like there are real reasons you don't start with these, but again we talk about like having your eyes down the road to be able to see where you're going and depending on where you're in your journey you should have a good feel for whether or not you're comfortable moving something that could cost that amount of loss yeah and what i want to i want to expand on not just the commodity or where it is in the supply chain think about the the solutions that a customer might need right and by that i mean the one pick one drop very very easy right not a very complex solution versus the, hey, I've got, I need trailers dropped. It's gonna involve, um, you know, white glove service, um, you know, all kinds of like really, really detailed specifics as part of that 
transportation solution, those are a lot harder to get into, but they pay a lot higher um, price point and you're gonna make a lot more money on margin in those solutions. But here's the thing, if you're a brand new broker and you don't even understand one pick, one drop, you should not start off by going into drop trailer and cross-stocking warehousing solutions, things like that. You've gotta learn the basics first, and then once you master that level, then you can expand and grow into other parts of this industry. And, and I'll, give you the, I'll give you the other why behind that, because I know if anyone out there is like myself, I'm like, well, what the hell? I don't wanna start with this low margin, I'm gonna start with this and I'm gonna learn it faster and I'm gonna go get money quicker, right? Well, here's like the real reason and the why behind, even though I know this now, I would not do it that way. And the reason is because like, not only is there risk, but it will eat up a tremendous amount of your time. It is a tremendously difficult thing to systematize when you haven't done enough of it yet. So basically <laughs> yep. you just end up spending like dozens of hours to get like a load covered. And then it yeah. usually falls out and then you've got to recover it. And then your customer's irritated. So you spend weeks and months building a relationship with somebody, honestly, only to kind of like shit the bed, pardon my French, when it comes time to push comes to shove. And now all of a sudden you gotta start that whole thing back over again, right? Yep. Think about um, an astronaut. They don't start off as by learning how to fly a, a spaceship mm -hmm. or a space shuttle or whatever they're using now. And all the, like, you know, uh, SpaceX and whatnot, right? They start off and they they read books and they are educated on um, aviation, right? And then if they go to flight school, they're gonna learn a in a basically a training aircraft, like a single engine Cessna or something like that. And they're all gonna start on that basic aircraft. And then once they learn the basics of actual, actual hands-on aviation and flight and flying and maneuvering and reading instruments, they're gonna move on to their specialized, maybe it's a jet or a propeller cargo plane or something like that, right? And then if they're really good, they'll move on to some of the more extreme or um, more intricate aircraft. And then if they're super lucky and they really wanna do it, they might apply to become part of uh, NASA or whatever, you know, some kind of aerospace or astronaut program. And then they'll learn all kinds of other stuff, but they don't just start off by operating a spacecraft, they start off reading and educating and learn about instrumentation and just you know physics in general, and then they work on a, a training aircraft and then they progress through and it gets more complex. But the good thing is, if you wanna do an issue with a complex situation, you're more likely to solve that problem if you have some experience with less complex issues um, from your past, right? So if, you're, if you've been a broker for 10 years and you're working on a new project for a customer of yours, well, Luckily, you've already figured out how to handle issues when a driver's out of hours, or if they are late to a pickup or delivery, or if you can't get a hold of them, or you know all the other little basic things that go into transportation and, and the supply chain. So now, once you've mastered that, then you could challenge yourself with learning the more complex parts of it. So it's all about yes. adding more, adding more to that that backpack of knowledge and experience and growing that way. Don't just try to take a shortcut and skip the the basic steps to, to grow yourself because you're just gonna do yourself a disservice because eventually someone's gonna realize you're a fraud that you're not as experienced as you think you are. And here's an analogy that, that I was using this week and I think it's pretty ap apropos. It's like, I picture prospecting like the literal analogy of prospecting, like taking a pick and the 49ers from like, you know, the 1800s, like literally go into prospect and find gold, right? So everybody starts out at the base of the mountain. Everybody knows there's gold on the mountain, right? So what happens in the streams? Everybody rushes around the streams and goes and gets whatever gold they can out. It's the hardest thing to find, but it's also the easiest to access, right? So everybody can make it to the bottom. 
well, go up another, whatever, couple hundred yards. A little less people, but still a lot will make it there, right? Well, to go up a little higher, you need a little more skill, you need a little more understanding of the mountain, otherwise you're risking more than the other people and bad things happen, right? So you have less people the farther you go up the mountain. What also that means is though, like you're now competing with less people to get that freight, right? To get that opportunity. So it's not even necessarily a different mountain that you're going to scale, it's just farther up the same one, right? So like load lists, getting on like a lumber load list or on these load lists of these big commodities, whatever they are, like everybody can kind of get to them. That means there's lots of brokers also working the you same load list. You and I could live call right now, probably in yes. the next 20 minutes, I'll probably get on three or four load lists. Yes. That's how easy it is. Now, but here's the next question that we got was, you know, well, what do I do when I want to take the next step? Well, the path to go higher it's not a different direction. You're already on the path. What the map to go higher up the mountain are the lists of questions you're gonna use on your prospecting calls as the weeks progress, right? Because there are lots of companies that have load lists, but also have high margin freight that they only give to the brokers they trust. Well, the path to get access to the freight that everybody really wants is longer, more arduous, more calls, more repetitions, more following up. As you're doing that, you're climbing higher and you are differentiating yourselves from the people that call twice, get onboarded, get a load list, never call that person again. Maybe post up yep. the loads, maybe send an option here or there. That's everybody at the bottom of the mountain. That's everybody like, hey, they're screening through the creeks and they're pulling whatever they can out. And hey, there's still value in it. You've got to learn the industry. But again, yep. if you wanna go higher, you've gotta ask better questions, you've gotta follow up more consistently, and you've gotta find ways to differentiate yourself from the other people they're working with. I wanna, I wanna give you an example here, um, and because this, I wanna kinda answer the question of how do you find the ideal customer, right? And I'm gonna preface it by saying, um, the ideal customer is gonna be likely different based on where you are in your journey as a freight broker, right? And I wanna relate being a, a freight broker to being a real estate agent, okay? So let's say you're either a, an, a freight agent or a licensed broker, right? So you don't have a base salary. Kind of the same thing as a real estate agent, right? They don't have a base pay. If you don't sell a house, or if you don't move a, a load of freight or some kind of a truckload, you don't make any money, right? So um, obviously it starts with the prospecting. You've gotta be putting the activity in and you've gotta be looking for those easy first wins or th those first couple steps to get you heading down the right path. So if you're not doing your 300 calls a week or whatever you figure out you need to do to be successful and create your uh, your sales pipeline and keep it full, if you're not doing that, you're already failing, right? Um, you have to identify what is it that you're not good at, right? So think about real estate agents, right? A lot of people just like freight brokers, they're like, oh, I wanna hop in here, I hear it's a, it's a great industry to hop in and be an entrepreneur. And then it's like, well, how many houses did you sell last year? How much freight did you move last year? They're like, well, none, I didn't sell a single house, I didn't move any truckloads or anything. Well, yeah, sure, then you're licensed and qualified to be a real estate agent or a freight broker, but you're not actually doing the job. And guess what, when you're self-employed, if you're not moving freight or you're not selling houses as a real estate agent, you're basically unemployed. So you, mm -hmm. gotta, you gotta remember that is identify where are you good at and where are you not good at. So you don't have freight brokers that are brand new that are going after project freight that's super complex and requires specialized equipment, just like a brand new real estate agent isn't going to sell million dollar mansions day one or year one, right? They're going to spend the beginning of their career learning from 
those that have already done this before and succeeded at it. That's why we are big advocates of training and coaching, right? Um, and then you have to start to do the job and identify where, what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses, and you have to work on those weaknesses. So if your weakness is, I'm afraid to pick up the phone, well, you have to have, you gotta work on your confidence then. If your weakness is on pricing, you've gotta focus on you know, different lanes and markets and how the pricing changes and what affects that pricing, whether it's time of year or time of the week, whatever the case might be. Um, but the ideal customer for you really depends on are you brand new? You know, what are what do you what experience do you have before you became a freight broker? Um, what passions do you have as far as commodities and markets and things like that? So there's not I wouldn't say there's an ideal customer that's universal for everybody. Um, there's commonalities, right? An ideal customer, and that's what customer, I want to go through. Yes. Yeah, like they pay quickly. They're easy to communicate with. That um, you guys have good transparent. Uh, discussions about when things go right, what goes wrong, they give you feedback. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I know I kind of threw a lot out there. So here's, and I'm gonna go through and just give the criteria of my customers and what I look for at this stage. And again, to your point, it really does depend on where you are and whether or not this is relevant. But like it has to, there has to be a very large cost if this shipment does not go. That's like my first criteria, right? Second criteria, I want it to be very difficult for any other broker to be able to work on that. That's my second criteria. I want there I want it to be consistently moving really no matter what happens, no matter what the season are, right? So like and then the fourth one is really just like the amount that I'm able to charge, but that has to do with the first three or four things, right? Like Yep. Mine, and they're not necessarily high value all the time, but they're high risk. I've got basically, I'm insulated from other brokers because it's very difficult to work with the customers I have. It takes a very long amount of time and there's a lot of other things that go into it, right? So to me, like that's what makes my business lower risk and higher margin, right? But for some of the criteria, and just to get some people thinking in that same mindset is, think high value, why high value matters is high risk. If it's high risk, they are going to be willing to pay a little more. And it's as simple as the cheaper you have on any shipment, the less qualified or the, the older the trucks are, right? Because think about it. If you've got an older truck, like you typically will take lower paying, you've got higher maintenance, and we can see that. Like if you're monitoring your carriers, you can see they're out of service percentage. The older the truck, the higher that number is. So you get literally better vehicles when you pay a little more money, right? So if you're yep. shipping TVs, electronics, laptops, something like high value, you don't want that shipment on the side of the road with a broke down truck for a day. It's very high theft. There's a lot of issues that can happen with it, right? So yep. that criteria is a big one, right? I wanna add in there too, the question of, you know, and you can word this in a lot of different ways, but how crucial is it, or how important is it that this shipment moves today or tomorrow or whatever the case might be when you're talking to your customer? Um, think about a, a new product release date, whether it's like a new, um, like a new book gets launched or a new electronic product or something like that. I was if just gonna use that. Shelves, mm -hmm. Think about that, right? So, so think re retail's a really good example because that happens at different points of the year. It's not always that way, right? So for instance, and I give you an example of you know one of my books, like department stores leading up to Christmas were paying a lot of money to get things shipped in early and to hold them, right? And they're paying that margin on that. Why? Because if you go to the store to go Christmas shopping a week before Christmas and there is no inventory, 
that has a massive impact on them, right? But again, if you're shipping retail goods to them in January, it's not necessarily the same. There's not the same risk, right? So these things don't hold constant necessarily every day, every week, every year. Shipping is a cycle. Some of these things change. Like I remember we used to ship um, to Victoria's Secret and when they would open a new store or have, like you said, like a promotion, they would literally pay like thousands of dollars in margin to get things shipped there like overnight. Team drivers on anything. It literally, they were like, it has to go no matter what. We cannot have the store open without having these shelves full. And we've already told the public, this is the day we're gonna have the product here. Like we can't not have it. And those are instances where you can really get paid for your work, get paid for the time you're putting into it, right? So think about like the expedite world. There's a reason that people that are shipping a single pallet or a single item in a sprinter van or a box truck or whatever the case might be, that they'll pay more than it would cost to put it on LTL, right? Because LTL, yeah, it might get there in three days, but if I send a sprinter van directly there, it's there the next day. Because I think I used this example about a year ago on one of our shows or episodes. Had a girl that she, her shipment that she moved for a customer was, they were like specialized chairs that were used for the um, college basketball or college football championship game like a year or two ago. I forget when it was specifically, but if those chairs didn't make it for the VAPs to put in whatever they were sitting, guess what? That game's only happening once and it's happening on that day, that night, right? If it gets there a day late, too late. Yeah. That's like if you got pumpkins delivered November 1st to a pumpkin place. No, no one wants a Halloween pumpkin. It's why Christmas trees are high margin, right? It's because like, and that's where you see a lot higher margin often in produce. And you know, we reiterate this a lot. We wouldn't advise anybody just starting to jump into produce unless maybe you're working with or under somebody that is doing that. I'd say that's the caveat, right? You could do a little bit of baptism by fire and jump in a little bit above your head if you literally have somebody that you can rely on to hold your hand and help yep. you through this, right? Exactly. And those are very different things. They're going to keep you inside the, uh, it's like coloring inside the lines. You might be out, you might be straying out there a little bit, but they'll, they'll pull you right back in, oh, which we, is good. Right, because we never know what we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. And there's no way to answer those questions or use Google to answer a question you don't know to ask, right? And that's why having exactly. somebody that you can work under and do can help you get there quicker, right? So a couple last pointers on ideal customers before we hop into our Q&A session here or section here. Um, customers that, I know I, I rattled them up before, but communication, right? Customers that are available to talk to you and, and are understanding when things go wrong. So let's say you you do everything right and your customer just flips out and gets pissed off at you and screams at you for 30 minutes and won't talk to you for a week. Not an ideal customer. An, an ideal customer would be the opposite of that, right? They understand that things go wrong. You have set expectations up front, you've done your best, and when things go wrong, if you handle it right, they're understanding, they work with you, that's good. Um, another thing would be how quickly are they paying their bills and how organized are they on the financial and accounting side, right? Um, do they clearly tell you what information is needed when you invoice them, whether it's a PO number or a pickup number or a tender number, whatever the case might be, and are they paying and they're agreed upon terms? or? If they're not paying their bills on time, are they dodging your phone calls? Are they making excuses up, right? Those are more of the the indirect, um, you know, mm-hmm. things that are not, they're not tangible in the actual transaction. Uh, they're not a price point or anything like that, but they all do impact your overall business and your relationship with your customers. 
So those are the things to look at. Obviously margin, right? High margin is going to be a great customer, but with high margin, if they're slow paying and they're just a pain in the ass when you talk to them and, you know, doesn't it's not always, the juice is not always worth the squeeze. Agreed. Here's and I I look at it from a little bit of a different viewpoint, right? Um, more from like, is it worth my time to broker this customer's freight, right? Not necessarily like ease of use. So like one of the criteria I look for, especially in small to mid-sized shippers, is are they disorganized? Because what tends to happen, do you think, when they're disorganized? They tend to have a lot oh, of things that need to go out lost last minute, right? Oh, hey, we need this load covered. Hey, I know it's supposed to go out yesterday or two days ago. I need to get it out this afternoon, right? Those, to me, is a good criteria of a customer because they're more likely to pay to fix their mistakes, right? Again, things that are high risk. If their customer needs it and if they don't get it, there's a high cost. If you're shipping to a construction site with a crane, for instance, right? If you're shipping to maybe an area where like they have big, heavy, expensive equipment, and if that product's not there, they lose a whole day of production, right? Those are you know typically good criteria. If it's going to a place where it's it's likely to need to be in there immediately, right? That's another good criteria. Um, high value. Um, high risk of loss. Those are all the things that tend to point to higher margin customers. Um, and I think what you kind of outlined is whether or not you actually want to work with these customers. So if you're going at it and you're trying to put your prospecting list together, like that's what I look for for somebody that's going to be profitable. But again, once I yeah. get there, I need to evaluate your criteria of whether or not are they paying their bills? Are they actually easy to deal with enough so that like it's worth working with them, right? Those points you just outlined, those typically correlate to a customer that has flexibility when it comes to their price, right? So if the market changes in a couple of hours or day to day, they're going to be more receptive to a, a increase or a hike in their, their cost to pay you to get that shipment moved. Whereas some of these basic raw material type of uh, companies, there's tons and tons of distributors and they're not the only one, or tons and tons of vendors, they're not the only one that's gonna be able to supply that good. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, one last example. Stuff. I remember I used to ship a lot of brake bulk off ships, right? Like literally, like they just lay it on the ships and they crane it off onto the ground. Well, guess what happens if that doesn't get picked up that day? They get charged per day, hundreds of dollars for it to sit on that ground. So now all of a sudden, if I need an extra 300 bucks on a load, that's not a big deal, because guess what? If it doesn't get picked up today, they're already paying that. And if it doesn't get picked up in two days, they're already paying more than that. So now I've got a cost bigger than what I need to make on this that is basically like a backstop to this. Fine, don't yep. take my truck, but you're gonna pay the bill regardless. Yep, you're absolutely right. Good good discussion there. All right, so today's Q&A, we've got one question. I, I didn't wanna overload the questions. I wanted to dig into this one for a little bit here and it's, how do I quote oversized loads? And I want to start off here. Think back to what we just talked about. If you're brand new and you don't even understand traditional flatbed freight, you probably should not start off with overdimensional freight. And here's why. Overdimensional, overdimensional freight or overweight, right? We'll just call it overweight, overdimensional, whatever, is going to require special things that a typical legal, we call it, load would not, right? So an OD, overdimensional or overweight, they're called illegal loads or non-legal loads. Reason being, um, the truck's not going to scale as they legally would. So they need special permits in order to haul that. If it's oversized, they may need 
um, escort vehicle. So if you ever drive down the highway and you see like a car in front or behind a bunch of flags, right? They got little lights flashing. Um, those are escort vehicles, right? And those cost money. Um, permits vary from state to state. So if you're moving a an oversized load from We'll say you know the southwest to the midwest you're going to be crossing through a handful of states and every state is going to have different permits and those permits are going to have different costs associated so if you're brand new at it and you're like oh how do i quote this you can't just go to like rate view from dat and type in origin to destination and get a rate for an overdimensional over oversized overweight load you're gonna to have to do a lot of homework right and there are there are services out there that will give you rough estimated pricing for this, but this tends to come down to having strong relationships with carriers that have the right equipment because they will they will be able to do everything themselves. They'll know what their permits cost them, what states require what, what roads they're not allowed to go on or bridges or tunnels that they have to avoid, things like that. They know the routing guidelines, they understand the permit process and the costs associated. They can give you an all-in price, but you're not just gonna be able to randomly find these guys Posting their trucks up as available, looking for loads on DAT. So, well, there's a that's my that's my 101 level on oversized and overweight. What do you think? Yeah, I think one of the things I want to point out is like why that's the case, right? So, like the roads and why something is overweight or overdimensional is literally based on whether or not it can drive down this road underneath this bridge, right? Is this load too heavy to go across even just a road? It doesn't necessarily have to be a bridge, right? Like some roads you literally can't put that much weight on, right? So it is very, very specific to where it's going, to your point, like where it's going to be routed. So for instance, like when you say, hey, you can't just get this. And even if you get a quote, the saying that always sticks in my head is like, a rate without a truck is valueless, right? Yeah, just because you have a number, like that literally doesn't mean anything because again, there's so much subjectiveness in the routes they may take, what type of equipment, where it's going, what states, how many pilot cars, all of those things, right? So I, my suggestion is if you are starting these, the best way to go is to take what you get from your prospect or your customer, right? Mm -hmm. Start calling heavy haul carriers ones that have 100%. these and just ask them and go, this is what I have, what are your thoughts? And don't forget to ask some follow-up questions like, hey, even if you guys don't have the capacity or don't want to take this, can you guys refer me to maybe another carrier that might be a good fit, right? You'd be surprised. What would it cost? Yes. What would you? What would it cost me normally if you did take it? I'm trying to get both of those because one, I want to be able to keep the next guy I speak to honest and two, I usually find the next person from the first person I talk to because it's also a very tight network and you know group of carriers. They pretty much know who does these in different areas of the states and specifically more in rural areas. Like they all kind of know who has the, you know, the very, very large trailers. If you're shipping something over 100,000 pounds, you know what I mean? Like there are only a certain amount of these trailers in a certain amount of areas. These guys know who have them. They're booked out long in advance. I mean, that's talking about like yep. really big, really overdimensional stuff. But again, you get paid for all that, right? So there's a margin on the, the permits that you're gonna charge. There's a margin on the pilot cars. Every one of these little tasks you do, you should be getting paid for sourcing all of this. So the juice yep. is often worth the, worth the squeeze. But again, like I wouldn't do them here and there. Like if you're gonna do this, I would wanna make sure that like my prospect has more of this coming. I don't wanna just do one of these a year cause it is very arduous and yeah, you'll make some money, but like you wanna know that like they're gonna be able to give you these again and again. Like we don't wanna just use, learn a skill set 
that we can only use once, right? So evaluate yeah, so the opportunity. I'll give you an example of some of this stuff. So big construction equipment, right? Like backhoes, dump trucks, things like that, that are meant to drive over a very short distance in a construction zone. They're not gonna self-drive down a highway from city to city, they're gonna be hauled. Um, wind turbine parts, yep. right? Those are big, oversized, they're super long, they're super heavy, right? And to your point, if you only do one per year, you're never gonna become an expert in that specific commodity that's being moved or hauled. Now, to, to understand why it requires special permits and special things to go along with it, um, a highway, the way that it's made and the way that that asphalt or concrete is poured down is a lot stronger and can handle a lot more weight than maybe a residential um, paved road, okay? Um, a bridge, the way it's engineered constructed, constructed, depending on how it's engineered, can only hold so much weight over so much of a you know span. distance span as you go over that arch or across that flat bridge. Um, low hanging wires as you go through uh, industrial areas with like electric lines or whatever the case might be, right? You might have to have someone that's there with an escort vehicle that holds a big stake or pipe up, whatever they call those things, to make sure that that wire is raised above um, you know, above the, the vertical height of that freight on top of that truck. So there's all kinds of stuff that goes into it that's very specialized at all. You're paying somebody to do all this extra stuff. It's not just one pick, one drop, door to door. It is very, very complex. So how do you quote it right to the carrier, like you said? How do you get into that industry? Start at the very, very basics, right? Learn flatbed and open deck, and then learn different, different um, commodities that go on flatbed and open deck. And then a lot of those companies that are shipping stuff, like maybe they're maybe you're working with a company that ships um, generators. Well, they probably got some massive generators or engines that they're producing that are overweight or oversized that you can eventually work your way up into. But you've got to build trust with that customer before you get an opportunity to work on that freight. And you've got to build experience and knowledge yourself to be able to be confident to actually move through that shipment and do it properly and, and not screw up. So and that's think, my take in a nutshell. And I think a big takeaway from this is you can use this with any type of shipment that is new to you, right? Just think of it like this. We don't create the procedures the shipper does. We don't actually answer the questions or ask the questions the carrier does. We are just a conduit of information. So if you find yourself in a situation, whether it's shipping out of a port and you've never done it, or whether it's you know doing an over-dimensional load for a customer that only has a one-off and they're saying, hey, can you help me out? Just always keep in mind that like you don't need the answers. If the shipper's asking you, go and ask the carriers. They do this every day. They will know what to ask that you don't. Then you go back yep. and then you go back and forth. Like you might go back and forth three, four, five times in a week before you've exhausted and now understood all of what you need to know. But that's how you learn. You don't learn necessarily by asking another broker. You literally learn by the people that do the work and do this all day and going back to the people yep. that have the work and need it done every day. Yep. You're gonna learn the dimensions and the model number of the item from your customer. You're gonna understand the capabilities of the equipment type and the permits from your carriers but eventually you do it more and more and more, you're gonna be able to answer a lot of those questions from either end uh, before you have to go ask for help. But you're never gonna be the, the go 200% answer on it, but you will have that value add to be able to quickly answer some of those questions. Yep. Uh, and that all comes with experience. So, good stuff. Um, cool, man, good episode. Any uh, Anything big coming up we got going on here? Any 
Any fun, exciting stuff? No, I know we got a webinar coming up with DAT that we've got to schedule sometime soon, but that should be coming up on the agenda right around the corner, putting stuff out on YouTube. I mean. Got a lot of good uh, video content coming out in the coming month too. Tips for, you know, sales tips for brokers. Um, we've got all about training options and stuff like that. We got a lot of good content. All, all based on what people are asking, what you guys are asking, what people are searching for and looking for, we're creating more and more stuff every single week. So yep. stay tuned and you know, keep uh, keep checking out. Usually it's Tuesdays on average, we're dropping new videos depending on what the content is and when it's done and blogs um, sporadically throughout the week and month and then our newsletter every Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe to the newsletter. It's going out to about three or 4,000 of you every week and we appreciate you guys um, you know, signing up for that. So good stuff, good stuff. Any last proverbial proverb type thoughts from uh, Henry Ford, I mean, Ben Kowalski? I actually wanted to leave one one thought too that I was thinking of that I think Ooh, is a good, a good reminder is it, think about what you want to make at this career. And I think this is a question we don't ask ourselves enough is like, what is that number? What do you need to do a week, right? Because I think I've seen a lot of brokers over the past few months um, really grinding on freight that would never really amount to the amount of money that they expected to make or is worth them making in the industry, right? And I think it's important to look at that, right? I talked about this and I think our last episode, like look at what you're doing. If you can multiply that by 10, could you still do that work in a given week? And what would you make? Is that number in line with where you're looking to go, right? Because as you're growing through your career, we talked about this in this episode, you will have different customers, you'll have different workload, you will have different margins, right? That will progress, right? You should be moving to easier customers to deal with and higher margin throughout your career. But you also wanna make sure you're not stuck in an area where you are banging your head against the wall, booking loads at such low margins that you'll never become profitable. And those are the instances where, refer back to a couple other episodes where we talked about firing your customers, right? Hanging on to a customer just because you're booking loads isn't always the best remedy. So knowing where you are in that journey, I think is really important to just kind of stop and ask yourself. That's a good point. It's good to be self-aware of your situation. Yep. For sure. And whether you, whether right. you, whether you believe you can Last or believe time. you can't, you're right. There it is. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. And if you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.